Can we give a clap offering to these missionaries for the wonderful work that they are doing? It's very nice, it's very easy for us to sit back on our comfortable chairs and look at the pictures that we saw. But I do hope that we realize that the task is immense. The task is tough. It's not as smooth flowing as brother spoke right now. There are a lot of obstacles in the way. And yet, as it is said in Joshua 13, verse 1, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. That's the big picture. But today what we are going to talk on for the next couple of minutes is the unit picture. You and me, where do we stand? Where do we stand so that we can all join together to become part of the big picture that they talk about? Will you turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20? And I am going to quote some very well-known Verses, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. Let's also turn to John 14, verse 23. John chapter 14, verse 23, where it says, Jesus answered and said to him, that is Judas, not Iscariot, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will make our home with him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, Lord Father. Father God, right now we thank you, Lord, that you have even opened our eyes, Lord Father, to see what is happening to your people in different parts of the world, Lord Father. Father God, we thank you, Lord Father, for everything that you have provided us with, Lord Father. But we pray, Lord, that we shall not be the complacent Christian that you don't want us to be, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us today, Lord Father, that we shall be able to build ourselves Further, Lord Father, to be the right tools in your hand, Lord Father. To be the type of people that you have wanted us to be, Lord Father. So that we can be your hands and your feet in this earth that you have given us, Lord Father. We thank you, we praise you. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will be with us. You will speak to us the rest of the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start with a little activity. And that is this. Now please take a piece of paper and your pen and write down what I am going to ask you to write down. Now if you don't have a piece of paper, you can please raise your hand because I have requested the ushers to hand out some papers to those who don't have paper. I have come prepared today. So those of you who need paper, it's coming around. 
You know, at this point, uh, I'm just reminded. Don't take me wrong, but I'm just reminded of a, a, a parable in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a parable of the uh, ten uh, virgins. Ten came, sorry, five, ten came with their lamps. Five came with the oil and five didn't have the oil. What am I trying to say? You got the message. If you want to verify that, it's on Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. And when you go home, just read that passage. But the only thing I ask you to do is substitute the oil with pen and paper. All right, let's get back to our activity. Now, please divide your paper into three uh, equal thirds, that way. Okay, or anyway, your paper, but divide it into three equal thirds, uh, not necessarily by folding it, but by drawing lines, either way. Now, on the first column, I need you to do something. But before that, I want you to think of an average day that you had last week. Any day, from Saturday to Wednesday. Not yesterday, not last Friday, not today, but any working day, an average working day. I want you to think of a day, and that's the day you're going to focus on. Now, in the first column, I want you to write down as quickly as you can the time that you have spent for different personal activities. Activities such as eating, sleeping, cooking, Bathing, exercising, washing dishes, keeping your house clean, etc. To a large extent, these are essential activities, but time-consuming activities. But I want you to put it down on paper. I'm not going to collect these papers, don't worry. And I'm not going to ask you to show it to your neighbor either. But I will ask you to look at it sometime later. So please do put down time spent on personal activities. All right. We're next going to fill in column number three. Not the middle column, but column number three. But before we get to column number three, I want us to turn to Psalm 51, verse 6. Psalm 51, verse 6. It says this, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Why am I asking us to read this verse before we write column 3? Because I want us to focus on the truth. Okay, you will write the truth. Now in third column, what are we going to write? Please write down how much time you spend for largely non-essential but time-consuming activities. So column 3 is for largely non-essential but time-consuming activities. Let me give you some examples. Watching the television. Playing games on cell phones. Mindlessly sending and receiving SMSs. Reading endless newspapers, magazines and novels. 
surfing the internet, chatting without end on MySpace, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and any other social net site that you know of. Having verbal diarrhea on the phone. You know, you can keep going on like this. These are actually classified. Now, this is not going to be a message on time management. Okay, I'm definitely not going to talk on uh, uh, the principles of time management. However, if you do go to a time management session, these are actually classified as largely non-essential but time-consuming activities. Okay. Now, that leaves you with a middle column. Now, in that middle column, write down how much time you spent with God on the day that you're thinking about. And that's why I said not yesterday. Because if it was yesterday, many of you would say you spent four hours with God. Okay. We don't want yesterday. Vigil night was there. Okay. On any other working day, how much time did you spend with God? Talking with Him. Walking with Him. How much time did you spend meditating on His directions for you for the day? How much time did you spend singing praises to Him and worshipping Him for who He is? How much time did you give God? Put that down in the middle column. I am not talking about the time that you sat in front of the television listening to some tele-evangelist talking about Jesus. I have nothing against tele-evangelists, but this is not your personal time with God. Listening to a tele-evangelist talking about Jesus is different from you having a conversation with Jesus directly. So please do not add TV time with the umpteen Christian channels that we may be having. I am asking you to write down how much time you gave God personally. Now my question. So I hope you've got three columns filled in. Okay, you can keep that in because we're going to come back to it. We'll refer to it sometime later. Are you happy with the time that you spend with God? How many of you are convinced, and if you are convinced, please raise your hands. How many of you are convinced that you are giving God enough time daily? Because if you are convinced, if we are all convinced that we are giving God enough time daily, we can go home. We don't need to continue here. Okay? But I don't see too many hands. Okay. So right, now hopefully that we have written down all that is our actual true state and we have written down the truth, let us proceed. I have simply titled this message as Walk with the Lord. Do you know that God is actually interested in walking and talking with us? That He wants to spend time. It's His desire that He would sit and talk with His creation. He created you with His hands. He created you lovingly 
And he says, it's my desire that I spend time with this child of mine, with this man of mine, with this woman of mine. That's his desire. He wants to talk to us about our days, our joys, our sorrows, our frustrations, our successes, our failures, our friends, our foes, our ups, our downs. He wants to talk on everything. He says, just come to me and let me talk to you and let's, let's, just, let's just reflect on what's happened during the day. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And the Bible reads as this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? God calls out and says, Where are you? From the time of Adam till this very present moment, it is we who have rejected God and refused to spend time with Him. God has never and will never reject us. And God will never refuse to spend time with us. Time and again, from the time of Adam, across the patriarchs of the Old Testament and across all those prophets and all those uh, uh, able men of God in the New Testament, right down to you and me, it is we who have rejected God. It is we who refuse to spend adequate time with Him. And yet, when a problem arises, or we run into difficulties, we suddenly befriend God and expect Him to pull us out of the miry clay in the deep ditch that we have dug for ourselves. It is only during those times that we run to God and say, God, where are you? You promised me that you will take care of me, but where are you? Suddenly we remember those wonderful promises where God said, I will take care of you. But the rest of the time, God is there on a pedestal. God is there on top of that bookshelf. We have so much time for things. We have so much, so much time for people. We have so much time for even animals. But we don't have time for God. Rarely do we spend enough time with God. And basically this is something that I'm speaking to myself just as much as I'm speaking to you. It's something that we need to reflect on and look at it ourselves. Where do we stand with the time that we give God? No wonder that the Bible tells us, if we continue to read in Genesis 6, verses 6 and 7, it says that, The Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Can you imagine that state where you make something? Maybe we make something as little boys and little girls out of plasticine for our classroom, and what we assume is a plane, but to the rest of the people who are watching that it hardly looks like a plane. And yet, when we think that it's time to crush that clay, how much we feel sorry about that. We say, no, this is what I have created. 
I want it on my table. I want it on that bookcase. I want it on my show rack. It's a very, very imperfect piece of stuff that you have done. And yet we, the small people that we are, we find it so difficult to destroy a creation. But yet God says, I am so sorry that I have made them, that I have come to that point where I have to destroy them. He made them out of love. He said, let these people be like me. I want them to be like me. I am making them in my own image. I have created them in my own image. And yet, he has reached that point of time where he says, I am sorry that I have created them and I have to destroy them. In verse 5, if you go back one verse, it says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, just a few generations, after the creation of man, his thoughts were so wicked, evil, continually. There was no place for God in his life at that point. And in the life of many of us, that is true. If you really look at the time that we spend with God, it's a very minuscule part of our day. A very minuscule part of the time that we have. But this is not the type of man God desired or created then or now. The man God desired to populate the earth was embodied only in one man at that time and that is a man called Noah. Let's read verses 8 and 9. Because it tells us in verses 8 and 9 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was a just man, perfect in his generation and he walked with God. Then a New International Version puts it like this. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Seeing the general state of man, God had only one solution at that time, and he told it to Noah. In verse 13 he says, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Let me read one part of it again. The earth is filled with violence because of them. If our world today is filled with violence, it's because of us. If our offices are in a state of chaos and confusion, it is because of us. If our homes are miniature battlefields, it is because of us. If our finances are in ruins, it is because of us. Why? Because we haven't walked with the Lord. That's a simple answer. Noah walked with the Lord. He was blameless among the people of his time. He was righteous. He was a just man. What about us? Our situation may be such that because we haven't walked with the Lord... Now, what does it mean to walk with the Lord? The Bible uses the words, walked with God, to describe the lives of two people. In Genesis 5, verse 22, it says, Enoch walked with God 300 years. Enoch walked with God 300 years. And in Genesis 6, 9, it says, 
Noah walked with God. These are the only two named people on whom you get the words, walked with God. There are other great men in the Bible who have been described in different ways, but only Enoch and Noah are described as having walked with God. Abraham was a friend of God. David was a man after God's own heart. Moses was the meekest man who yet spoke directly to the Lord. The Douglas Bible Dictionary defines walking as God as this. It says, being spiritually alive to the presence of God continually. Being spiritually alive to the presence of God continually. Or, being in constant communication with God the Father. That's the Douglas Bible Dictionary definition of walking with God. When we prayed, when Brother Charles led us in prayer, we said, let those dead bones see life. Didn't we pray that? Let those dead bones see life. Let them start moving around, let them start walking and let them get life back into them. Now when life comes back into a body, life doesn't come in uh, phases. You know, we are all alive today, physically at least. Okay? But we are not physically alive for a few minutes and dead for a few minutes and then we revive again after a few minutes. No, we are alive. It's a continuous process. So when the life comes back into those dead bones, it's not for phases of time. It's not like your ACDC current. Okay, well, it's on for some time and off for some time. No, it's there continuously. So life has got to be there continuously. So when we talk about walking with God, it's not a process that you can switch on and switch off whenever you want. It's a process that's got to be continuous. Walking with God is a continuous, constant process. It's not something that we can choose to do when we want to do it. And the rest of the time I go and do whatever I want to do. Thank you very much. Okay, that's not the way we walk with God. And now if you go back to that paper, wherein we have written our average daily schedule, you will clearly see that constancy and continuity is something that is sorely lacking in our life. There may be phases during which we spend time with God. There may be phases during which we converse with God. But the constancy that is required to be with God, the continuity that we need to have with God, is something that is sorely lacking. See, when we read the lives of people like Moses or Abraham or Noah, you know, we see that at any given point of time, they just start talking with God. You know, they don't need to go into a state of preparing themselves to talk to God. They are always there talking to God. Now, how many of you, when you go to your father at home, when you go on holiday or maybe your parents are here with you, that's great. Okay, when you want to talk to your father, you go and spend some half an hour before that saying, this is what I'm going to say, this is what I need to do, I need to wash myself, I need to wear the right clothing and then go, no. You, you just go and start talking to your father. How many of you want your children to come and speak to you anytime they want? And you say, no, you have to fix an appointment with me. I'm a very busy person. I have 14 children to take care of. 
So I can only provide each one of you one hour a day. Because the rest of the time I need to sleep. Okay, no, we don't do that. As a father, my child has a 24-7 right to come and say what he or she wants at any given point of time. And you see, that's the kind of relationship God is asking us to have with Him today. He says, I am your father. I am God, that's great. But I am your father. And therefore, you need to have a continuous walk with me. You must be able to just walk, get in the presence of God and say, Hey dad, can we do this? We don't need to get extra holy. You know, we talk to others. Hi guys, when we come to God, Oh, Father in heaven. You know, we don't need to change ourselves. We don't don't need to be hypocrites in this business. We just need to be free with God. Our walk with the Lord is clearly deficient. We have defined certain terms, but we are clearly deficient in that. Now, is there any way we can improve our walk with the Lord? The Bible tells us that there are many things that we can do. But I'm just going to focus on two foundational issues only. Number one is focus on God. Focus on God. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. See, it's not, there's no partiality here. There's no 99.9%. It is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The Bible is very clear in many places where it uses the word all. It expects all. God expects from us all. And that's what Jesus was telling us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, focus on God and God alone. Not on man. Not on an idol. Not on anything that looks good. Not on anything that seems to provide you something for a short period of time. Not on something that takes you high for a short period of time, but then lets you low so fast that you don't know when you hit the ground. Focus on God all the time. Paul tells us the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your, things, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Where is your focus? Focus on the Lord. For us to be able to spend time continually with God, we need to focus on Him. We all know the story of Jesus walking on water. I'm not going to repeat it here. It's a well-known story. We know that Jesus walked from the shore to the boat on the water. But we also know that Peter started walking towards Jesus. So Peter also walked on water. Jesus was was walking towards the boat. Peter got off the boat and he was walking towards Jesus. Now he did something that is humanly impossible. It's not possible for, in our own strength, to attempt any such thing. But Peter was able to do the impossible 
as long as his eyes were focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. But the minute he started looking around and saw the storm and saw the waves and saw the sea and realized that he was not walking on solid ground but he was walking on water, he lost his focus on Jesus Christ. He started sinking. And he said, Lord, save me, help me. That's a lesson for all of us. It doesn't matter what the surrounding is. It doesn't matter what's the turmoil in our office. It doesn't matter what's the situation in the world around us. If we are not to sink into that same situation of many of the people around us, focus on Jesus. Just remain focused on Jesus. Because when you do that, all of these things pale into total insignificance. The light of Christ is so bright that none of these things will even throw a shadow. There is no place, there is no space for anything around you to raise its head and say, I'm pulling you down. As long as you focus on the light, on that great light of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a story of Satan having a meeting with his assistants. In his opening address he said, We can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from opening their Bibles and reading the truth. But we must try to keep them from forming an intimate relationship with the Savior. Once we break that connection with Jesus, our power over them is established. Let them go to their churches. Let them have their different activities. And let them think that they are obeying God. But steal their time. So that they don't have time to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do, said the devil to his assistants. Distract, distract them from focusing on their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout the day. Distract them. Take away their time from the Savior. How shall we do this? said the assistants. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. Tempt them to spend and to borrow, to borrow and to spend. Persuade the wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six to seven days a week, ten to twelve hours every day, so that they can afford an empty lifestyle. Keep them from spending time with their children. Let their families fragment. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still small voice. Entice them to play the radio or the cassette player whenever they drive. Keep the TVs, the VCRs, the CDs and their PCs running constantly in their home with all kinds of noise and action. Let their emails and chatting and internet searches occupy their minds 24-7. Fill their mailboxes with junk mail and pound their minds with news all the time. Give them Santa Claus to distract them from teaching their children the real meaning of Christmas. Give them an Easter bunny and brightly colored Easter eggs so they won't talk about Jesus' resurrection and his power over sin and death. And whenever they fellowship as a church, involve them with juicy gossip. 
such that they forget why they came to church at all. Keep them busy, busy, busy. Yes, said the assistants, it will work. And frankly, if you think about it, it is working. Today, brothers and sisters, are you too busy to spend time with your Savior? Remember, busy, B-U-S-Y, means being under Satan's yoke. Being under Satan's yoke. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 8 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Trust the Lord in all situations. Trust Him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Focus completely on Jesus Christ. Put all your situations across to Him and say, this is it. Tell me what I need to do. We don't give Him the problem and say, this is what I plan to do. Please stamp your approval. You know, that's what we often do. We say, this is my problem. We have no problem going to God and saying, this is my problem. But unfortunately, we don't stop there. We go one step ahead and we say, I also have the solution. So I'm giving you my solution. Please stamp your approval. And so God says, reject it. And you say, oh, no, 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 that's not right. I want your approval. This is my plan. Okay, but what does the Bible say in Proverbs? He says, lean on the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in your own understanding here. Okay, put everything across to him and say, this is it. Tell me what I need to do. Look, I can't think of for myself. And what you tell me to do, I will do. And if it doesn't work out, you are in charge. Not me. Okay, you told me to do it this way. That's it. And when he asks you to do something his way, don't worry, it will never fail. It will always work. So what do we need to do today? Look at column three again. Your column three. Don't look at your neighbors. It doesn't matter how much time they spend on the television. Look at your column three. However hard it seems, you need to ruthlessly cut things out. Fix strict time limits for any activity that you think is absolutely necessary, if at all necessary, from column three. Throw out the rest. I told you that this column is, large, is described, is actually described as largely non-essential, but time-consuming. This is the column where you will be able to redeem time. I'm actually going to give you a minute to take your pen and scratch out things that you think needs to change. While I catch my breath.
you are making time for yourself to spend now with the Lord. You see, these activities that we do are not activities that are done and then thrown into waste paper basket. But these are things that you need to reflect on. In the Friday school, for the higher classes, we actually ask children when, they, when we do such kinds of activities, sign it. I don't want that paper. You sign it. Because if you are prepared to make that commitment, sign it. If you are not prepared, don't sign it. Because it's between you and the Lord. If you are saying that you are going to spend so much time with the Lord, sign that paper. Because that's your commitment with the Lord. If you can't do it, don't lie. Don't, don't sign it. Just keep the paper. And at the time that you can, sign it and then put it on the, on the shelf in front in your room. Put it on the mirror in front of your room so that you will see. And you will say, I have made a commitment with the Lord. And I am going to keep it. I am not going to lie to Him. Because lying, brothers and sisters, is terrible. The Bible tells us that murderers go to heaven. Sorry, hell. I'm sorry about that. Murderers end up in hell. Thieves end up in hell. Those who don't accept the Lord end up in hell. But it also says the place for the liars is the lake of fire. See, so lying, which seems to come off our tongue so very easily, is a very dangerous habit to practice. It's an extremely dangerous habit and therefore... Look at your paper accordingly. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So that was number one. Focus on God. Number two. Fundamental principle to walking with God. Number two, meditate on His Word. Meditate on His Word. And I said we will look at only two fundamental principles. This is the second one. There are two opening sentences in two books of the Bible that absolutely floor me. They amaze me. Number one is Genesis 1, 1. In fact, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3, you read that, it is so beautifully described that there is no other way you can capture a, an audience to read the book. Those sentences are so beautiful. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Paragraphs can be written to explain the same thing, but in just a few words, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Amazing opening sentence for a book. Okay. The other sentence which floors me is Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. The book of Psalms, amazing opening sentence again to me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. See how beautifully David expresses it there. Blessed is the man who walks not 
in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In less than 50 words, 47 words in the end, New King James Version, David summarizes that the way you and I ought to live, where not to talk, where not to stand, where not to sit, and what to read to be blessed. He's just giving us this much of information, and that's all we need. Where not to go, and where, where, what to do. This is the essence of what our life should be like. In two verses, he captures the whole of Psalms. Again, in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Solomon writes this, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my, and my law as the apple of your eye. Keep my law and live. Live is life. Walking with God is spiritual life. So keep my law and live. That's what Solomon tells us. Throughout the different books of the Bible, we read of how God speaks to His people through His Word. The Bible is not just a record of the past. It is that. But it also talks about today and enlightens us to the future. There is little we can do about our yesterday. That is history. There is little we can do to influence our tomorrow. That is a mystery. But there is everything that we can do about today. That is why it is called the present. It's a gift that God has given you. It's the present. It's a gift that God has given you. And we need to make use of it as much as we can. Okay, that's a gift. Today is the gift that God is giving you. So today is the day we need to look at. It's not about yesterday. It's not about tomorrow. But it's about today. Let me tell you a story of the man who heard a message in the church about studying the Word of God. He was so impressed and decided to study the Bible daily. The problem was he didn't know where to start or how to study. So he searched the internet and found a method called the fisherman's technique of Bible study. Okay? You can look for it. It's called the fisherman's technique of Bible study. The method indicates that he has to open his Bible to a random spot and cast his eye on that page like a fisherman. The first verse his eyes tag upon were meant to be his promise and task for the day. So he said, okay, that sounds very good. Like a fisherman, you just cast your net and you get a fish. Okay? So you open your Bible, you cast your eyes, and whatever the verse says, you do. So that sounds very nice and that sounded very Christian, that sounded very biblical to it. Okay, so he decided that he was going to adopt that kind of a principle. So he opened his Bible and his eyes fell on Matthew 27 verse 5. Will somebody read that please? Matthew 27, verse 5. I'll leave it open. Come on. Right. So Judas threw away the money and then he went away and hanged himself. Oh. Well, uh, this gentleman looked at the verse and said it didn't make much sense to him at that particular point of time. So he decided to try another verse. 
So he again flipped open his Bible and there he gets Luke 10 verse 37. Luke 10 verse 37. What does it say? Go and do thou likewise. You see, that is no way to study the Bible. Because if he was to act on that, well, the previous verse was, he went and hanged himself. The next verse is, go and do thou likewise. Okay? That is a very bad method of looking at the Bible. Bible study and meditation is not some random series of irrelevant steps. There is a discipline to it, and God invites you to enjoy that journey. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 we read, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. See, isn't that what a lot of us are looking for? To be prosperous and to have good success? What does it say before that? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may do according to all that is written in it. So it's not just reading and getting head knowledge, but applying it and acting on it. And then God says, you shall be prosperous and you shall have success. And that is what all of us clamor for all the time. Many people think that prosperity and success comes from having, having power, influencing contact, personal contacts, and a relentless desire to get ahead. But the strategy for gaining prosperity that God taught Joshua goes against such criteria. He said that to succeed, Joshua must do this. Number one, be strong and courageous because the task ahead would not be easy. Number two, obey God's law. And number three, constantly read and study the book of the law. That's God's word. That's all that it says in Joshua 1 verse 8. And that is the map that we need to follow. For you and I to be successful, we need to follow God's words to Joshua. We may not always succeed according to worldly standards, but you will be a success in God's eyes. And His standards are much higher than what this world has to offer. And His standards last forever. And His standards are always true. The world changes standards. You read Times of Oman, every week you find that there's a new diet fat that's there. At the end of the day, you don't know whether to eat fat, protein or carbohydrates. You know, I, it's true. You really look at times for one, you get that picture. Selvin Hughes, in his devotional, Water for the Soul, suggests that the early morning hours are ideal for meditation and hearing from God. He gives a couple of insights. Now I know that not all of us may think that the morning is the best time. Some of us may think that evenings are more suitable, whatever. But I'm just mentioning one perspective, which is Selvin Hughes' principle and this is what he says he couple he gives a couple of insights start your day with meditation at the start of the day you have an opportunity to ask God for directions and strength for the day instead if you choose the evening time you have already run the day 
on your own steam and strength. And you end up asking God to restore your strength. Often at the end of the day, your prayer to God is to offer regret, repentance, and to eat humble pie for all the mistakes that you did during the day. So he says, and that's a good enough reason to open the Bible in the morning, spend time looking at verses, asking God to talk to you through those verses, not rushing, because he says, God will give you instructions and directions on to how you are to live the next few hours of that day. And you will be successful and prosperous at the end of that day. Second insight that he gives us is this. He says, learn to listen. Listening is a habit we have to cultivate. Listening is a habit we have to learn. Talking or often making verbal noises is almost an automatic process. God is not your mega mart salesman who is there to fulfill your every command. I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. And God says, okay, here's one packet, here's one packet, here's one packet. No, he's not your mega mart salesman. In fact, it is the other way around. You have been created to fulfill God's will. So listen to God. And how do you listen to God? You wait on Him. You spend time with Him. You go to Him and say, I want to be with you. Tell me what I need to do. What, what are your instructions for me today? What do you want me to do? Who do I meet today? What should I say? What are the words I must be using? When do I keep quiet? When do I open my mouth and talk? You tell me. God will tell you. He's your father. He is concerned about you. He's so mindful of you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for corrections, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Remember, Noah was a man who was righteous. God liked that. And here the Bible says that the word of God is for instruction, for righteousness. The Bible tells us that our life on this earth is 70 years. Maybe 80 years. After that, we will spend life in eternity. What you do on earth decides where you will spend your future. Heaven or hell. Who you follow on earth decides who you will spend eternity with. Jesus or Satan. Do you know what the Bible stands for? The B-I-B-L-E. I wish we had time to sing that song, but we aren't going to do that. The B-I-B-L-E is basic instructions before leaving earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. So the follow-up instructions come later. Okay, we need to follow these basic instructions first. They are not complex instructions. They are simple instructions. God knows that with our IQ... He can't afford to write complex stuff inside here. We need to take it as it is. Those are the basic instructions that God is giving for you and me today. Brothers and sisters, 
Noah walked with God because he was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God continually and constantly. Today God is asking us to do the same. Is the Lord Jesus Christ your master and savior? Or do you have some other idol taking away your time? I'm going to leave you with a task. Take home and read. Read Leviticus chapter 26 verses 1 to 39. Leviticus chapter 26 verses 1 to 39. The first 13 verses talks about what happens when you walk with the Lord. The next 26 verses tells you what will happen when you do not walk with the Lord. Scary. It's easier to follow the first 13 rather than be dumped with the next 26. Okay, Leviticus 26, verses 1 to 39. Brothers and sisters, God bless you all. Shall we pray? Let us pray. God has spoken to us. God wants us to walk with Him, but we have walked without Him. That has been the result of failures in our lives. Why don't we make a mind, a decision this afternoon? If we hear without a decision, it will not profit us. What decision are we making this afternoon before the Lord? Are we going to spend time with Him, to renew our strength from Him, to get wisdom from Him before we go out in the day? Are we are going to continue? Are we going to spend time with Him to get the joy, the comfort of His Spirit? Are we going to spend time with Him to hear His voice, the still, small voice, or we are just going to rush off like we have done before. What decision are we making today about the activities that have taken up our time, bringing defeat into our lives? Why don't we ask the Lord for grace to wipe out every activity from our lives that is not profitable? Let there be a decision this afternoon in each and every one of our lives so that there will be a change. Without a decision, there will be no change. In Jesus' name we pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you because of your words. Indeed, Lord, you desire that we will walk with you. Father, we know that many of us will have jumped up and leaped up for joy should the president of this world ask us to walk with them. And yet, Lord, have we not despised your time without number. And so, Lord, we come in repentance this afternoon that you will forgive us and have mercy on us. Because of your Son, Jesus Christ, cleanse us 
from these actions and this ignorance in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, how we pray this afternoon. You that see beyond the eyes of man, you see the plot of the enemy against us to take us out of your presence. Yes, they may have their meetings and make up strategies to confuse us, to distract us, to defeat us. But Lord, we pray this afternoon that you will fight for us. That everything the enemy has planned to take away godliness, spirituality from our lives, you will cause them to fail on our account in Jesus' name. Lord, some of these activities that are useless, we are so bound to them, we are so used to them. Father, it will take your grace to break us free. And we are praying this afternoon that you will deliver us by your mighty power from every habit, O God, that is unprofitable in Jesus' name. Father, we want to pray, O God, that your spirit, Father, that reminds us of your presence and your word, Father, will perpetually, O God, draw us into your bosom in Jesus' name. Father, we pray, as we begin to make time with you, Lord, that the way in which Moses' face shone, when he spent 40 days with you, Lord, we pray, our faces will shine in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, those things, in-depth things, secrets, which you want to reveal to us, and because we have not got time for you, Lord, we pray, as we begin to spend time with you, you will reveal things to us, the deep things which we know not, that will change our lives, change our circumstances, and bring total victory into our lives. Father, you begin to reveal to us in Jesus' name. Lord, how we pray, O God, that these words we have heard, Lord, will not depart from us until it accomplishes your purpose in every one of our lives, in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we pray all the birds of the air and all the forces of the enemy that we want to take this word away from us, we bind, we cast them out of our lives, in Jesus' name. Father, we pray as we go this day, O God, let your presence overshadow us. And cause us, O God, to feel your presence everywhere we may be on a continuous basis in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for your servant that you have used, that more of your grace, more of your anointing, you will bestow upon his life in Jesus' name. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's rise up to share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.